You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. I so love having these conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. I love getting into people's journeys, not just hearing about their most recent shiny thing, but how did they get here? The twists, the turns, because everybody's got their own struggles. And I'm hoping that by listening to other people's stories, it supports you in getting out of your own way and going for the things that you want and not being afraid to make changes and all sorts of other things. Today, I have as my guest, Megan B. Murphy. She's the author of Your Fully Charged Life, A Radically Simple Approach to Having Endless Energy and Filling Every Day with Yay. How fun is that? Does that sound? She's also an editor, an on-air personality, a lifestyle and health expert. She's a lot of things. She is the editor-in-chief of Women's Day magazine, which is actually the number one selling magazine. And um, she can also see her often on shows like Live with Ryan and Kelly, Today Show. She's always doing these little like craft and different things like that on these shows. So she does a lot. She has a lot of yay energy. And I loved getting into her story. I was not, this is not what I was expecting. I was like, totally like, oh, wow, really? So super cool. And before we get into the episode, please, if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and leave a review for the podcast. And if you leave a review, you can screenshot it and send it to podcast at yourjoyologist.com. You can also DM me at underscore Trisha Huffman or at Claim It Podcast, and I will send you a gift from my product line as a thank you, because those reviews help podcasts become more discoverable. It's like how podcast algorithms work or something like that and also subscribes and downloads. So thank you for listening. Tell your friends, share the episode, subscribe, leave a review. Here we go. So I like starting with what was life like for you growing up? And I especially like to know about teenage years because I feel like that can be like such a stressful time for many of like, what should I do with my the rest of my life? And there's a bit of like trying to fit in, but also like find your own way. Well, I talk about it in my book a lot. Um, my teen years were pretty tumultuous. So I had like a very middle-class average you know, upbringing, but I was a very angsty kid. I had a lot of big emotions. My negativity bias was very strong to the point where my nickname was Grumpy. And I kind of wore a grumpy necklace with pride, kind of owning that reputation. Ultimately, that led me to a pretty raging eating disorder. Um, I was very sick, probably really came to a head my sophomore year. My best friend and I were what I call tandem anorexics. So we were sort of, you know, anorexic partners in crime, not eating together, exercise excessively together, introducing each other to laxative, the whole nine. Um, ultimately, I passed out on a soccer field and was rushed to the hospital and was admitted to an eating disorder program. Our parents were very close friends and they were going to admit her to the program as well. I had like talked to her on the phone. I'm like, it's not that bad. Come on, we'll, we'll just get through this. And in route to the program, she jumped out of the car and died. So, you know, this I was 16. This was big. This was huge. Uh, so I felt really the guilt for not having said enough, not said the right thing, 
you know, felt very culpable for her death for a very long time. And sick. I mean, I was also sick. You know, I had, I was a raging anorexic, you know, malnourished and, you know, just starving myself for some sense of control and normalcy over my big swelling emotions. And ultimately with talk therapy and group therapy and inpatient treatment, I became like a functioning human again, right? Like I'm not the person I am today, but I was a functioning human, I like to say. And I wrote about it. I wrote about my journey. I wrote about my friend's death. And, you know, that earned me a Horatio Elder National Scholarship and $10,000 and a spot on a national television show with Trisha Yearwood performing and Don Johnson and Bob Costas hosting. And it was like a pretty big deal. I got a lot of national recognition for this piece of writing I had done. And so at the time, I wasn't really aware of it. But what happened for me in that moment was that I really came to the realization that when you're vulnerable and you make your mess your message and you share your pain, good things can actually come of it, right? I launched my magazine career because of that journey, because of that piece of writing inspired by some really crap times. So I'm on this special and YM Magazine saw it and called me and said, we want to tell your story. And I said, great, but I also want to be your intern. So can I start Monday? Thank you. Bye. And I just showed up and I became an intern and that led to a contributing editor job, which then led wow. to co-founding Teen People magazine. So, so, so that, in, my, in a nutshell, those were my teen years. They were tumultuous, but I'm grateful for them because they made me exactly who I am today. So going back with, uh, I'm so, yeah, I so felt for you when you were sharing that about your friend, I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine for right now I'm 40 in that happening. But yeah, especially back then. And you were how old? 16? I was 16. And it's interesting now that I'm a mom and I have a daughter who's 11. It has hit me harder because I'm like, how did I get through that? Because I can't imagine her going through that in a couple of years. And I, I just head down, got through it. But I mean, it's it's sort of surreal now reflecting and it almost feels sometimes like someone else's life. Like, holy crap, that happened. And it really got crazier. Once I wrote about it in, in the magazine, her family tried to sue me. Oh, wow. When you wrote that story, which also, how you were still like in high school when you wrote that? Yeah, I was a, a senior in high school. And was it like, were you meant to be, were you like, oh, it's for an English class, whatever? Like, was it something you were meant to be writing something or was it you just to enter like some sort of contest? Like what inspired you to write that? I'm guessing there must've been a reason you were supposed to be writing something. I was, I mean, I had kept journals and I, you know, writing has always been very cathartic for me in a form of therapy. I've always been a writer. So it was really, I had been keeping all these journals and doing all this writing and really processing a lot of the pain through writing. And then I think it was, it was my senior year of high school. Maybe it was my English teacher approached me and said, hey, like it, there's, there's the Horatio Alder National Scholarship Awards. And just it was for the whole class. Like I was in an AP English class and said, like, if anyone's interested, not even knowing my story, because I actually my senior year of high school, I moved out of my house to live with my aunt and uncle in, you know, an hour away because I didn't want to go back to school. Um, after my friend's death. So I was like transplanted, living a new life, my senior year of high school, an English teacher didn't know me from nothing and just presented to the class. There was this opportunity to write this essay for this Horatio Alger National Scholarship Awards. And, you know, I had entered a bunch of different, I, I did a lot of creative writing. I had won numerous creative writing 
contests and awards at that point. But no one really knew the story I had to tell until I told it one. And was writing like in journaling, like nurtured when you were in, um, you know, going to therapy and in, you know, that recovery and stuff like that too? Or was that just something that was always part of you that you were just drawn to writing? Yeah, I've always been a writer. Um, I've always really been best able to express myself on paper. I've always loved the, the rhythm of words, the way language has this ability to transport you somewhere. I've just always been really just drawn to reading and writing. I've always excelled at it. So it's also one of those things like I was good at it. So I liked it even more, unlike math. And I was always in like advanced um, writing classes and, you know, those kind of programs and stuff. So you wrote it, you won, and then you got like featured in these things. Is that when her family then? Yes. Yeah. And it was, they were suing you because just you were sharing... Yeah, they sued me for defamation. They didn't want me to share her story. They didn't want me to talk about her. And unfortunately, like, unfortunately, there was no case because she was gone. And so then subsequently, Lifetime Television made a movie about us, unauthorized movie about us. Oh, my goodness. And then her mom died of breast cancer. So it was just like tragic upon tragic upon tragic. I mean, it was just awful. It still breaks my heart. Yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that that, you know, you're getting, I mean, you're getting a lot of acknowledgement and things are happening because you wrote this about this very painful thing in your life. But then also you cared so much about your friends. So that means you must care about her family. Then her, her family is sort of coming at you. Like, I can't imagine what. Well, and it was really surreal too, because there were, I also had all these notes and letters from them when I was in the hospital about how brave I was and how strong I was and how proud they were of my recovery. So it was, it was very, very tricky. Like it was very hard to navigate. It was very hard to process. Again, like a surreal time in my life. <laughs> when people say they had tough high school years, I'm like, yep, get that. <laughs> oh, and then what did Lifetime make a movie about it? Like right at that same time? Like I was a freshman. I'll never forget because I was a freshman in college when it came out. And I can remember my brother calling me and being like, there was some like blues trouble song where there was the line was like something about like a TV movie. And he's like, that's you now. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is insane. I mean, I'm guessing was it advertised or put out in a way that there's no way it actually could be connected to new, but only like the people in like your town probably could put it together or people in my town, the people who wrote my, read my essay and my article in YM magazine and like in the star ledger and every newspaper. I mean, I got a lot of national attention. So when that movie came out, it did, wasn't, hard to put two and two Got together. It. And I'm like, assuming back then, Lifetime movies also are much more like people are watching. You know, like I think I watched Lifetime movies in the 90s. Oh, yeah. And I mean, our names were changed and probably our hair color, but like, you know, it was us and it was awful. So, okay. So let's go back to you end up getting these accolades then. Yeah. Like, uh, what was it? Which magazine asked so you to first? YM Magazine was, it was Young and Modern. Then it became Young Miss or whatever, but it's YM Magazine. Yeah. And you were like, yes, you can publish it if I can be an intern. Yeah. And so I started as an intern and very quickly I became a contributing editor. I was super ballsy. I had my own column, like a, a you know, a body positivity column. Body positivity wasn't really back, a thing back then, but no, I had a body positivity column. And I wound up giving dating advice and love advice and interviewing celebs. And I mean, I had a, a great time. 
Were you doing that while you were in college? So I have a sort of an interesting college trajectory because I was like studying acting. I was at Rutgers, but I was also working. And so I did some of my acting classes and my acting work in the city and would go to my internship. And then, you know, like I just juggled both for many years. I always like to say that I didn't have like sort of a normal college experience because like I was also working at MTV on camera at that point. So like I would be at the MTV movie awards or the music awards while my friends were at like a frat party. So like I never like did a keg stand, for instance, like I don't know any of that, but I was at the VMAs, you know, like. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah. Because of that, like, were you, when was school just like you go to class and that and didn't really have like a community and friends there and stuff? Cause it sounded like you're like already living your bigger picture life. Well, the cool part was my sister was my roommate. So like I had a built-in best friend, like we lived, my sister and my brother went to Rutgers also. So I had like, what I didn't feel that disconnected because my family was with me. So it, I think that probably helped in the sense of like, I, I didn't, I had my best friend. Like it wasn't like I was, felt like I was missing out on a, like a frat party when I'm like, you know, having Cosmos with Gwen Stefani. Like it, I didn't feel like. Yeah, no, I mean. I have a similar but also much different because I wasn't at award shows, but I started I always wanted to be a live sound engineer and I moved to Chicago to go to a liberal arts school that had like a music business program because I didn't know what it was. I was like, maybe it's a producer. And then I got a job at the House of Blue Chicago where there were concerts doing like first in like the retail store just because I was like, I can do retail and I would start to know the people upstairs doing production. I was like, that's what I want to do. And they were like, okay, come came ha- hang out. So I like created my own internship. And so then I started to work at House of Blues doing concerts the summer between my freshman and sophomore year. And I went back to school in like three weeks before realized my school had a sound program and switched all my classes. But yeah, so like I was a sophomore in college and I was already working in the career that I wanted. (laughs) And so I would be like, yeah, like working at least 40 hours a week doing concerts, my dream job, and then still like going to school. And it was, um, I loved it. (laughs) But yeah, so that's pretty amazing. And so then by the time you graduated college, where, what were you already like? Yeah, you said you were on, and how did you get an on camera position at MTV? So I was an so I was an actress. So I I had an agent and I was doing auditions. Um, and I did like commercials and, and you know some off Broadway shows. I know I was part of Mason Grove School of the Arts and that acting program, and I was part of William S. Bruce Studio in the city. So you know I was auditioning, and I don't even remember. I, I think my agent just sent me to MTV, not even having anything to do with my teen people work because I was also reporter. Yeah, that's what I would have thought the connection had come from that. It was like I went to an audition um, and was probably good at it because I was also a reporter and a music journalist at the time. Yeah, and I did. So I wound up doing like the beach house at MTV in the Jersey Shore at the Bahamas. I did some MTV news program. But like, you know, I, I, that's my, I do a lot of like TV now with the Today Show and Live with Tony and Ryan and stuff. My background is television. But that, so that's, um, I mean, especially with what you went through in high school and then feeling that angst and stuff. And then now, like, it just seems you're like 
putting yourself out into all these situations where for so many people that can create so much, you know, doubt, fear. I don't know if I'm worthy. I don't know if I'm enough. And I'm sure some of that stuff had to come up when you're putting yourself out there for stuff. Like, how did you, how were you able, and I know it's hard, it's hard to look back and think of that, but like, do you know, like how you were like, can you remember like what was making you be like, okay, just try just like, cause even like go on the, another edition, go on, try for this job. Yeah, you know, I didn't stop to think about it. And I also think when you realize life is fragile in a very real way at a very young age, like something like being embarrassed on stage seems pretty minor, right? Like, you know, like rejection feels pretty minor. Being disliked feels so minor. And so I think that some of the gift of my adversity was just kind of a fuck it attitude, right? Of like, okay, you can't really hurt me much worse. And so I'm just going to go for life. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah, I was having that experience with losing your best friend so young Then I can totally see that where it can, you know, it can go many ways. But that, yeah, it's, for you, the route was sort of just like, okay, I'm going to like take advantage of this life. Yeah. I mean, and, and I agree. I don't, I don't think everyone reacts in that same way. But for me, it was very clear. This life is absolutely not promised. Tomorrow is absolutely not guaranteed. So I can sit here and get in my own way. And I can be angsty and I can be fearful. Or I can say, fuck it. And I can just move onward. Um, and try all the things and do all the things and see what makes me feel fully charged and alive. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, when I was 15, I had my own struggles too. And I almost took my own life and I sort of giving myself two choices was like, okay, if you're thinking about it so much, then go through with it or try life a different way. Cause I realized, uh, I, I had a lot of, I ended up being diagnosed with diagnosed with fibromyalgia when I was 18, but so I had a lot of physical stuff, but also just the emotional stuff. Like I saw like, I, how much emotional pain we create for ourselves in this like fear of what other people think and trying to fit in in the comparison and what should I do, say, look like, whatever, like so much stress. So I changed how I lived my life back then. And that was a big pivotal thing that did make me like go for being a live sound engineer, put myself out there. And even this job, I didn't know what to do and to move to, you know, like do all these things that really didn't make any sense. But then later in life, my um, my father passed away suddenly when I was living my dream job. I was touring the world with Grammy Award winning artists. It was amazing. And um, when he passed away suddenly, it like created this huge shift in my life that that's when I like took on. I went away. I just felt like you said a similar thing. Like I just wanted to wake people up to you're alive. You don't know what could happen tomorrow. So like stop letting all this bullshit weigh you down. Like life is hard. <laughs> a lot is hard. A lot is unfair <laughs> for whether you have a lot or what you can, you know, if you didn't come from much, whatever your situation is, life can be really hard, but it's like, we make it so much harder on ourselves. I, I, my dad died of pancreatic cancer. Um, and that was like another kind of wake up, shake up, right? Like, cause things were like, you know, I was happily married, had three kids you know, life was really, really good. And that kind of rocked me to my core because my father really was my person, my biggest cheerleader and supporter. And losing him sucked. And honestly, his death was really the reason I wrote my book. I mean, the gift in the gift in his death, the gift in that adversity was another wake up call that, listen, 
I get to live this way with optimism and joy, prioritizing positivity, even through the hardest things. And that's what I'm here to share. So it was a real like, okay, this is what you're meant to do. Now freaking do it. So yeah, like I, I made up when you said back in high school and stuff that you always journaled and loved writing that you probably had always felt like, oh, I'm going to write a book or I'm going to write books. And even though you were in journalism right away and working for magazines and stuff like that. But yeah, like, was that always something you like felt like I will write a book one day? Yeah, I mean, I was always like writing and illustrating my own books. I, like, weirdly, I thought it would have been a children's book because like I wrote Penelope Pumpkin and I had this character and I, my kids read it now. It was like a book that I had like fully written and illustrated and spent so much time and care with. And you know, I'm always sort of like was more into like short story, short form, you know, fun lessons and morals and characters. Like I never thought I would like write fiction, which I probably won't. Um, but as a service journalist for 25 years, I felt like I'm really good at service, but I'm good at fun filtering it to make it news people actually want to use. And I think that's sort of that's the secret sauce of my book is that like I'm, it's a happiness toolkit and I'm giving you tons and tons of tips and tricks magazine style, if you will, to live more fully charged. But but I'm but I am a storyteller. Um and I and I'm not like this Pollyanna who hasn't seen some shit, you know? I mean I've had my share. But I choose the bright side most days, you know, I really do work hard to actively prioritize positivity. And so when you said your father passed away, that was sort of the inspiration to write the book. So is that like, did his passing make you sort of be like, I need to put these things out in the world? I need to share my story more? Yeah, you know, it was, I was sort of done with telling my story and done with myself because I did sort of become the poster child for eating disorder recovery for a minute in my 20s. Like I was yeah. doing like the first ever kind of body positivity work and and really helping people through it. But it becomes exhausting when you're done and and you want to move on. And so like that was it was getting tiring for me and I wanted to move through that a bit. But I think that there was a moment when my father was dying that I went to chemo with him. And, you know, I was sitting with him in chemotherapy and he's in this like green, cheap faux leather chair and he's being pumped with this chemical cocktail. And he's got stage four pancreatic cancer. Like, we know he's gone. Like, it was awful. And so I said to him, I'm like, Dad, like, I'm not giving up hope. I love you so much. But, like, how do you want to be remembered? Like, let's talk about your legacy. And that's a very hard conversation because it feels like you've given up. But it was so important to me, selfishly, to understand how he wanted to leave us. And so we have a really real and powerful and painful conversation but he was very clear about what he wanted to, to leave behind and how he wanted to be remembered and his clarity and, and how quickly he responded to such a hard question really made it important for me to ask myself that same question and to, to know as a healthy 40 year old woman, how I wanted to be remembered. And so in asking myself that same question, it was clear to me that I wanted to leave a legacy of positive energy. I wanted to go from Neggy Maggie who wore that grumpy charm with so much pride to, you know, somebody who arguably farts rainbows some days. Like I wanted to share that journey with people and share the, the strategies that worked for me because it was, I trained to live this way. I am not naturally happy. I am not naturally optimistic. I am not naturally any of the things I am today. 
but I say I worked really hard and trained to live this way. And, and my strategies are scientifically proven. And so I felt compelled to share that and to have this toolkit be my legacy. His, tool, his, his legacy was much simpler, which makes me laugh. He wanted us to continue to um, look for sea glass, to continue his point, to point with purpose, the pop point, and to always have scratch off lottery tickets under the plates at family dinners. Like, <laughs> that's what mattered to him. And that's pretty damn cool. Okay, I was going to ask you something else, but now I want to know the point with purpose. Yeah, I need to know more about that. So we just called it the pop point. And it was like, when he pointed at you like that, you knew you were heard, you were understood, you matter, you were part of the circle. Oh, so it wasn't. So yeah, when I immediately heard it, I'm seeing it as like, he's sharing something with you and pointing. So to put like this, you know, is listen up, but it was the opposite. Whereas I'm getting emotional imagining this because like we also want to be heard and seen. So it's you would be sharing something or saying something and he's pointing. So being like, I got you sort of thing. Wow. How special. Now it chokes me up. Anytime someone's like, I'm getting emotional, then I just get emotional. <laughs> it's like, I'm like that. I'm like that. It's like the Pavlov's dog. You hear the bell. I hear someone like remotely cheer up. I'm like, I'll cry with you. Here I go. I just, that's so special. It, it was. And so in all pictures now, he had a leg. He left behind 11 grandchildren. We all point up to heaven. Wow. Mm, so special. It's me, Trisha, bringing you a brief interruption to tell you, to remind you of a few things. One, did you know, do you yet have my daily inspiration app? Yes, I have an app that's filled with hundreds of powerful thoughts and affirmations. You can get it in the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. It is called Own Your Awesome. You just open it at any time and get a powerful card. You can also hit the show me a card button. You can hit like the random button. You can also go into the options and select daily and set a time to be reminded every day to go pick a card to get a message because we forget to do the things, right? That we know will make us feel good. I just opened it up and I got people want to support me. I allow them to support me. I ask for support with absolutely no shame. Anybody else? struggle with asking for support and receiving. Okay, I'm going to hit show me a card again. And I got why not me? Why not me? Why not you? I just hit show me a card again. And I got I embrace uncertainty and step into the field of possibilities. So that's the app. It's a one time purchase, no ads, no fees. I add to it regularly. Go get it. It's called own your awesome. I also have a product line including a daily connection journal, the Own Your Awesome Real card deck, mugs, notepads, magnets, keychains, all sorts of things. Go to shop.yourjoyologist.com. And if you're really looking to go deeper, to have real true support, to uncover who you are, what you want, and to move you through what's holding you back, check out my one-on-one coaching. It's called Your Manager of Integrity because I am with you every part of the way to see what's coming up for you, what's working for you, what's not, and to hold you in accountability for the things that you want to do, but making sure that it's working for you and not just holding you to things because you thought that's what you wanted or you should do or you said you would. So really examining 
the truth of what's coming up for you and holding you the whole way through. So check that out. You can always send me a DM at underscore Trisha Huffman to learn more. Oh, you can also go to yourdwildgist.com backslash coaching. All right, back to the episode. Okay, now you said like you have this toolkit. Was this sort of un intentionally but unintentionally created? Like you're not like, you know, 10, 20 years ago, whenever you start collecting these things, like, all right, I'm going to one day write a book of its toolkit. It's just like, okay, I'm, you know, I want to, I'm alive still. I want to like, how can I continue to like, what was it like to be happy, to see positivity? Like, you know, what was empowering you to keep seeking strategies? And like, yeah, was it something that was intentionally done? Like, you know, starting back in like the therapy recovery, or was it just you being like, I'm alive and I want to be making the most of my life or... So there was like a very obvious in retrospect turning point for me. Um, I was a senior editor at Cosmopolitan Magazine of all places. And I was assigned a story called The Seven Secrets of Happiness. And that's sort of how like inside baseball at a magazine, like the boss will be like, we want this cover line, The Seven Secrets of Happiness. Okay, dear senior editor Megan, figure out what the hell that story is. And I was like, okay, Seven Secrets of Happiness, rolled my eyes because I'm like, who gives a shit? But let me figure this out. Oh, so when you got assigned that, you weren't like, oh, great. So happy to take this on. You were like, oh, oh like. Let's- like I said, I've been through talk therapy, inpatient treatment. I was feeding my body and I was had a healthy relation, healthy, re- healthier relationship with food. I didn't have a functioning eating disorder, but I wasn't like this happy, joyful, like positive person right? Like, but I was healthy. God, and I made up too, because you're like, oh my gosh, like listen to your story. You got this job to then you're you know, to this job. Now you're at Cosmoton and then you're like at the VMAs. Like then my mind goes to, oh my gosh, she's like living life and loving it. So she's happy. But that's right. That's not necessarily truth that we see people consistently accomplishing things and hitting these things. And while they're doing this, but that doesn't mean that they're actually. And I would say like, I was just running from or towards something, right? Like I was busy accomplishing. Right. Like what's next? Okay. Okay, Keep going, keep going. And then you don't feel. Yeah. I wasn't busy feeling. I was busy doing. And that was a, so writing this article and, and looking to the field of positive psychology for the first time and talking to, looking at the work of Martin Seligman, who's basically the founding father or the forefather of the positive psychology movement. And it really clicked for me because all the talk therapy, all the work I had done addressed a problem and how to fix it. Right. You don't eat here. Like, let's fix this problem. Let's fix. Maybe you have a control issue. Maybe you're a perfectionist. Let's fix a problem, fix a problem, fix a problem. And, you know, traditional psychology, that's what it did. It it fixed problems. But positive psychology approaches it differently. They approach how to emulate the good in people. So like Martin Seligman, Permatheory of Wellness, looks at what's right with people and then how to emulate that. So what makes someone flourish? And how do we emulate that? Not what's broken, how can we fix it? You see what I'm saying? The distinction Mm -hmm. versus like fix an eating disorder versus, wow, if you adopt an attitude of gratitude, like this person over here who's thriving, things could change for you. And so for whatever reason, that really resonated, that I could choose to emulate some of these behaviors, that if I practiced gratitude, that could move the happiness needle. 
if I worked on having a sense of community and fostering relationships and feeling like I was a part of something bigger than myself, that could actually make me happy. You know what a sense of accomplishment? Yep, that's the A in the Perma Theory of Wellness. Yep, gold stars feel good. You know, I need purpose. I need to find meaning. So kind of looking at those very tangible, real things that make people happy, that could potentially make me happy, changed the way I lived. And that story was such a gift that I was assigned that story versus how to give a good blowjob that month. You know, I mean, it was like, and so when you found, I mean, was that just like you're researching like, okay, how to be happy, whatever, and then just sort of stumble upon positive psychology? Yeah, here's the thing, exactly. Like, and this was back, you know, I was in my 20s. So this was before like Google. Right. right? That's what I figured like, do, do, do. And then you like just see all these other articles already written. And <laughs> No, like, I mean, I did, I had to do actual research, right? I had to call like I had to call universities and, and talk to psychology professors like I had to do the work you know you couldn't just google an abstract and be like okay it was you know it was real journalism at that like you, you had to work you had to do some work so um, but I didn't change overnight I that's just what I was about to say so like great I have these things how did you go about like implementing them <laughs> or like yeah, I always say like I hate when people are like oh what was your aha moment or your like I don't believe that. I don't believe anything is fast and furious and instant. I think that all good things require nurturing, right? Like a tree doesn't grow in a day. You know, it's things require watering and tending to and, and time. And so for me, it was just this gradual adoption of some of these behaviors. And that's what's kind of cool about that work it starts to com compile and compound until ultimately you're living and feeling and thinking and doing differently. And do you remember when you first started to like try these on and try to add them into your life? Like, do you remember like having moments of noticing, you know, like, oh, something's different. This is working. Like, you know, again, like not necessarily an aha moment, but of like, exactly. huh. but, and I would say like the thing for me too is, I don't think I was consciously, it's not like I was keeping a journal and saying like on Tuesday, I'm going to try to practice gratitude. And on Wednesday, I'm going to give back, you know, because when you do good, you feel good. So I'm going to do community service on Wednesday. Like that's not what was happening. That's not where I was at. It was sort of like noticing other people doing it and then being like, oh, that's what I wrote about. You know, it's sort of like, I always call it like the, the, the litmus test is sometimes when something is repeated or seen three times, you're like, oh, gratitude's a thing. And then for me, my secret sauce as a journalist, I think, is being able to make that more accessible. Because frankly, I don't want, I'm not going to keep crystals in my pocket. I'm not going to keep a gratitude journal. Like it starts to feel too woo-woo. It starts to feel too homeworky. Yeah, a lot of things feel like work. And then you're like, well, I want to do this thing to feel better, but then I'm just adding this work and it keeps you from doing the thing. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like a service journalist for the masses. Like I've worked at Good Housekeeping and Cosmo and, you know, Teen People. I, you know, I'm talking to the masses. And so what I, what I understand, you know, is what works for most people, not people in New York and L.A., Right. Like not or like that little small pocket of people who are absolutely going to go through the hundred step process with rigor and zest to get it right. 
Like I'm talking about the person in Kentucky who might try something if I make it fun enough. Did that take a while? I mean, you've been in that service journalism, which I had never heard it called that before, but I understand. So now you've been doing that sort of thing for so long, but like, do you remember, did you get tips at the beginning or like, how did you have to like train yourself to get used to thinking of like, yeah, this isn't just for me or my best friend or this, but like, you know, thinking of that person in Kentucky or where You know, my brain is kind of wired that way, frankly. Like I'm a person, so there's a couple of things about me. Number one, I'm, I'm an empath. So I deeply feel what other people feel. I'm also you know, an expert problem solver. And I also assume that if I have the problem, someone else has the problem and I can solve it for both of us. And so that's how I've always approached everything. Like, well, this sucks for me. I bet you this sucks for somebody else. How can I solve for it and share? And then I'm an evangelist for that information. So that's always been what really drives me and feeds me. It's like problem, solution, share, problem, solution, share. You know, and I get very excited about helping people. Like it's, it's the way I'm wired. Yeah, I get that. I mean, that's whatever. When I fart, first started like blogging back in the day and it wasn't ever to like make a difference. It was just like a, a journal that was easier for me to like whatever. And that's what first like then got me into like, oh, creating Twitter back in the day because I think that was like the main social media. And it was just sort of this thing like, and even still today, we can get so stuck on like numbers and likes and what is everybody else doing and what gets the this and whatever. Cause, and even like from, because yeah, we want to help people and we want to get through. So like we want those things. So it's not even just a like appearance thing, but like, oh yeah, I would love to support more people. But I always just come from like, if I needed to hear this or if this was some aha, like an aha, <laughs> I'm like, I'm using your ahas. If this was a, some an, a th- thing I had, cl- you know, like insight I had today, whatever, like there might be a, even just one person out there that needs to hear this. And that's what motivates me to like share the thing. And I think I'm, you know, I'm definitely wired to be a problem solver. And one thing too, I always think like, I'm thinking somebody else is going through this, struggling this. But then I think a big thing too is to like giving like options and not like, it's not just one way. Like here, understand, like I think it can be hard for people. It's like, this is the only way to practice gratitude, gratitude journaling. And it's like, okay, then these people are going to love that. And that's going to be so great that they love this routine and they love to write. And a lot of people won't. So like, like giving people options to make it easier then it's not like you're wrong if you don't do it this way. (laughs) Well, and that's what I say time and again in my book. It's like, you can roll your eyes at half of it, but if one strategy or trick works, yay, because that's going to change your day. And this is, none of it is one size fits all, none of it, Um, but it fits for some. And if it does, I can't wait because it's sometimes as simple as one simple happiness tool that could be your game changer. And the small things, I always say this so many times, but like small things are such big things that we can seem like it has to be some big life changing. Like, yeah, like I, we've both had moments in our lives that created, you know, a loss, a struggle, like, you know, that can create this shift or like wanting to see things differently or that immediately does. But small things can really change. Like, yeah, like gratitude is one of those things that can be easy to be like, roll your eyes at, oh, everybody talks about gratitude. But it really can change how you relate to your life and the world by just like zoning in on like, but people can so often feel like it's just just a small thing that's not going to work. 
Well, and I talk, so two of my greatest, I like to hack things. My gratitude hacks are, are very simple. I mean, in my family, we say, what made you say yay today? What is your yay for the day? And that's just our reframe of gratitude. We're pausing to appreciate. We're practicing gratitude. But I don't say to my, you know, 11, 9, and 8-year-old, what are you grateful for today? I go, hey, what made you say yay? What's your yay for the day? And and that's a gratitude practice that, that is more accessible for my family. And then I always tell people, just change your have-tos to get-tos because that's a very simple way to practice gratitude. I don't have to go to the gym. I get to because I get to be healthy enough to lace up my sneakers and go sweat. You know, I don't have to go to work while I get to because I have a job that pays the bills, right? Like what are those things that you get to do versus have to do? And where did, yeah, I love your like use of yay. And I was just about to ask where, which I love that, like, what's your yay today? And I just started, I have a daily connection journal that has these like daily touch points. And I just recently started asking like a couple of the questions to my kids. And one is like, what are you grateful for? One is the questions like whatever, or no, or gratitudes for the day or something like that. And so, but yeah, one of them is like, what is a joy or a win for the day? And just like, yeah, like ask my kids, you know, and my kids are four and six. So much younger. And I'm like, what? Yeah, like what, you know, what made you excited today? Or like, what was, yeah, like what brought you joy today? Like, and it's sort of like, I like that. I'll probably have to take that on now. Like for that, it seems easier for them. Like, what was your yay today? Like, what made you feel yay? Because whether it's like their kid, like, especially my four-year-old, like playing with so-and-so or, you know. It's, uh, and I've been doing this with my kids since they were very, very little, um, probably like, you know, two years old. And they won't go to sleep now without sharing their yay for the day. Like I love that. Please tell me and be like, mom, don't you want to hear my yay? Yeah. And one of the the last things on my journal is what can you acknowledge yourself for today? Because I think like self-acknowledgement is so big because we're usually so like, oh, I didn't do this and I forgot to do this and I didn't get to all the things. Like, what can you acknowledge yourself for? And so I was like, I said that. I was like, what can you acknowledge yourself? My six-year-old was like, what does acknowledge mean? And I was like, oh, what are you proud of yourself for? And they were like really excited about that. Or, you know, the way I reframe it too sometimes is like, what would you high five yourself for? Yeah. Like, so, what would your friend high five you for today? Like, yeah. What's high five worthy? Because I feel like every kid wants, even in COVID times, a little high five. Love that. Yeah. And that's what, like, making ways that it feels like fun to you and fits your life. And exactly. Because, right, like, all that woo woo stuff is great, but you have to do it for in order for it to be great. And, like, I have to fun filter everything or I just lose interest and it just feels too homeworky. Yeah, no, it can feel really like hard. Like I have to think of the perfect this reason. But yeah, so where did like your yay and the fact that you named the book Your Fully Charged Life, like where did that idea come from? You know, I've always um, loved lightning bolts. My mom is the OG bolt. Like there was this picture growing up of her and my dad on their honeymoon cross country to Yellowstone National Park. And my mom had these like cool braids and this lightning bolt t-shirt. And I just always was like, damn, my mom was cool. Um, And she's still cool. And she is definitely someone who instilled a sense in me that everything is always possible. And and so I've, I've always been very grateful to her for that energy that she brings to the world. She's relentlessly confident and, and very cool. So there was always that attachment to the symbol of the lightning bolt. And my energy can be very electric. Um, I have a buzzy energy that I've, you know, kind of worked hard to cultivate. And I like to do people always joke, you're like an energizer bunny. And I'm like, what's because I'm fully charged. 
Um, and so that's really where it came from. Love it. And oh, yeah, this makes me think back because, yeah, my when I watch you on social media, which I know is not necessarily real life, but yeah, like you are doing things like, OK, I'm going to shoot. the. I'm going to Kelly and who's Kelly and Ryan. Right. I'm and like, wait, I was like, wait, what's <laughs> who's the person now? Kelly and Ryan. And here's this. And like, let me Oh, now I'm making this, you know, crafty thing or stuff like that. And so in my mind, I came like, wow, are you like always doing? And you mentioned like earlier on your career too, like, you know, like always like moving and not feeling like where have you had to create or like, you know, especially when you started to like starting to learn these things that too, did you, were you able to then like find like more like, okay, I can do all these things and like make space. Like, have you had to like, I think yeah. we all have to, it's a constant well, battle of this. Like, I don't, I don't really know about the balance you know, oh, no, I, I talk about it as synergy in the book. I don't yeah, I love that. Synergy. So I think the, the thing to note with me is I do do a lot because a lot makes me happy. So whereas somebody enjoys like Netflixing and sitting on the couch last night for me, like I had these like rubber gloves and I put candy corns in them to make nails. And then I filled it with popcorn and then I put a spider ring on it and like, I tied it off with like a bracelet and, and I, I was like, Oh my God, this is such a good crap. This was so much fun. And I put it in my son's lunchbox and they were like, mom, that was cool. You did. That's a good one. You know, like, so that kind of creative outlet is important for me. I love to craft. I love to celebrate. It brings me joy. Like, so where someone else is like stressed that their, their shit's not Pinterest worthy or whatever, like not like, I don't care if it looks good even. I want it to taste good, but I don't, but like I, I find so much joy and happiness in creating, you know, I'm a, I'm an ideas machine. I'm highly creative and that is a beautiful outlet for me. Yeah. I love it. And that's what I was thinking. Cause like in years prior, if I had, you know, been watching you, then I might start to feel bad about myself. Like, oh, I am not a craft person. I do not want to do those things. Like, how is this person always doing these things? And so I would either make up like, you know, I'm not doing enough, good enough, whatever. And I bet she would judge me, you know, like not saying true. Like, I think that that's where we can go. And I've had other, I have friends that are similar to you. Whereas like, oh my, they're like, oh, like this and doing this or whatever. And like, oh, okay, they're like off and they have like a break, but that just means they start another creative project or whatever. And like, I'm someone, well, I mean, that's partly my fibromyalgia in that I am lucky that I have been someone who's prioritized rest in my life and taking care of myself because I need that. And so like, yeah, I am like, oh, well, let me like read an entire book in a day sometimes or watch an entire show. And I think part of, you know, with the way I was always great. And then I think when social media started or just when I started to become friends with more people that were more creative doers that like that's how they unwound right and that's how they relaxed was to like do something else then I started to feel shame that like I needed more rest or I was happier doing less or whatever yeah like for me carving a pumpkin would be like somebody else getting a pedicure or something like I it is such a release for me just to focus on a creative pursuit and nothing else yeah like just want to DIY. I want to make a wreath. I want to, I want to paint something like I want to like figure out how to make a robot out of a juice box. Like it keeps my brain busy in the best way possible. 
Yeah. And that's what I think it's like great to like, you know, it's just being able to see like, yeah, this is who I am and this is what makes me happy and fulfills me. And then like, yeah, for me to like own my own stuff, like, yeah, like I want zero part of any of what you just said. (laughs) But I love and admire the people that do it. And I was, you know, like, and it inspires me and stuff. But yeah, like just to know, like, yeah, we don't have to compare ourselves or that one way is better or something. I mean, it's a cliche for a reason, but comparison is the thief of joy. And I have my share of haters and I always laugh because I think if you hate me, it's just because you don't understand me and you see something in me that you don't like about yourself. And that's not my fault. Or it's because, you know, something like I just mentioned that they automatically see, because one of the things that I feel like the reasons that we judge is because so often if we see that somebody has a different opinion or is doing something differently than us, then we automatically make up then that person. Like, so if somebody sees you and doing all these things, whatever, then they make up that, like I mentioned too, then you must, would probably be judging them because they don't do these things or whatever. And so then they automatically, then like, so then they have to judge you and not like you because they're just like, it's like a self-defense mechanism sort of thing that makes no sense. The thing I like to remind myself is like, really, everybody cares mostly. Like people are so narcissistically self-involved. They're really not that worried about you. You know, you're more worried about them than you are, like what they think than they are thinking about you. But yeah, I'm sure that's still like for to get people commenting or whatever, like even though you're like, no, this isn't about me. They don't even know me and whatever. That's still like that sucks to receive. Yeah. You know what? The cool part for me is, is that like, I don't really get a lot of hate. I don't really want to say that to welcome haters. But like, <laughs> you know, like I think I'm just, I just am who I am. I I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not negative. I'm not like, there's nothing contentious about me. And so my community is really just supportive and lovely. And I don't, I don't really attract a lot of that, which is nice. Okay. I'm almost going to get it to the questions I ask everybody. I did want, again, since you have, like, I think it's so amazing your career and how you've moved to all these different publications. And now you're editor in chief. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? At Woman's Day, yeah. At Woman's Day. Plus, you still are doing stuff on all these different TV shows and things like that. Like, what would be your main, like, advice for people who may be, like, afraid to put themselves out there or to, you know, like, try for... I don't know if that's you looking for a different jobs or if people are asking you, but still, like, that's a lot of changes, it seems. Like, even if you're doing similar journalism like to move to work with different people, different companies that like, how do you navigate that and advice for people? I think the, the key advice is to chase what excites you because I think if you care, you're able to be good. And so the more you care, I think the better you will be at any job. That's not always possible. And so if you, if you don't love what you're doing, how do you bring joy to that job? How to, how do you, kind of extract the benefits of that job. Like for instance, how do you job craft? Like maybe I hate my job, but I but I know that learning SEO could be a valuable skill set that I could bring to another job that I might love more or would be very fulfilling. So like what is the grain of good? What is the the purpose you can extract from a crap situation? Like I think that's the key, right? Because sometimes we just need a paycheck. But Earning that paycheck doesn't have to suck if you focus on like the who, the how, and the why of the job versus the what. Yeah. 
And what I like to say, you know, like, and even explaining to my kids, like why people have jobs. And I basically not thinking about it came out and said like a couple years ago when I was explaining, I was like, you know, we all choose ways to help people. And now I think of that like really great. So, you know, like if you are someone that, yeah, like you're stuck in a job, whatever, and you're maybe looking for something else or whatever, or you don't like it, but you need this paycheck for now that like, I think that that helps if you just think I'm helping people, whether you're a customer service person, you're the person at the checkout line, like that. And that goes back to gratitude. When you really see, when you see gratitude, you can see how connected we really are and how every single part you know, it can seem like your job is smaller or this or not as glamorous, but like you are so valuable and you are helping people no matter what your job there's is. Ton, there's actually tons of great research about connecting your job to purpose. And so like if your purpose is like, I hate my job, but that paycheck gives me the freedom to go out to dinner on Friday night, or I hate my job, but that paycheck gives me the freedom to, you know, pay my mortgage or I hate my job, but the hours are flexible and that allows me to coach my son's, you know, lacrosse team. Every job has some purpose. It's easy if you're a teacher or a nurse or in the service industry to see exactly what that, what, how you're serving others. But even a barista is serving people, right? Like, Oh yeah, they are. People live for their morning. (laughs) You get to set the tone for someone's day. So like, There's always, always purpose and meaning you can assign to the job. And when you're able to do that, you will, you will create more satisfaction. Love all of that. Okay. Um, what is a go-to to to raise your joy levels? Well, I think there's certain non-negotiables and I talk about all of them in the various chapters in the book. The health charge chapter really talks about movement and protecting your sleep. And I think a go-to for me is always a workout and preferably an early morning workout because that is my time. Nothing gets in the way. I love being out of the house before the sun rises and really feeling like I own my morning. But what about like, so it's midday and you're just feeling you're like in the grumpy mode. Like what is something you would go to to like, okay, let me up my joy levels. Vitamin D. So sunshine, a quick walk around the block. I mean, being in nature, can you, can you take off your shoes and put your feet in the grass? You'll feel better in about 30 seconds. Yeah. Sometimes just walking outside and looking at the sky is. Yeah. Yeah. Like lucky if it's a sunny day, but like seeing greenery, grass, the sky. I mean, that's all research proven. Those are mood boosters. Uh, Okay. Ask everybody to apply this phrase to their own life. What is easiest for you is not always best for you, which might be like a habit way of being. So what is easiest for me is blank. What is best for me is blank. What is easiest for me What's easiest for me is having fun. What's, what's, what's best for me is sometimes having too much. What, what's not best for me is sometimes having too much fun. I'm really good at having fun. Like, <laughs> ridiculously good at having fun. So maybe it's like, what is easiest for me is for having fun. What is best for me is to have responsible fun. I don't know. Be responsible. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. What's best for me is like sometimes cutting the fun off at 10 p.m. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, okay. The last question is the name of the podcast is claim it because I feel so often we're chasing, you know, like, Oh, chasing being enough. Like once I have this career, once I have this much money, once my relationships look like this, whether that's being enough, fulfilled success, whatever, we keep putting it outside of ourselves. And oftentimes, even when we hit those marks that we think we would get it, it just, we don't really feel it. It just keeps getting moved. 
So I feel we can work on claiming whatever that feeling is every day, not saying it's easy, but just even putting the intention of I'm claiming that I'm enough right now. I'm claiming that I am successful right now. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? A shower. (laughs) Can I claim a shower? You can claim a shower. (laughs) It's like the most elusive thing in my life right now. Like I've been up since 5.03 a.m. I've been to the gym. I've packed the lunches, made the breakfast, gotten the kids to school, made the beds, done a podcast, had seven calls, just haven't showered. I just want to claim a shower. (laughs) I guess a bigger picture means a teeny bit more hygiene. (laughs) Or like, or maybe even like prioritizing your own needs because not saying you haven't because you did the workout and did all these other things but like okay by claiming your shower you're like I'm claiming that I am prioritizing that I don't know (laughs) I you know I'm in a really good place right now um because like my kids are back in school I have quiet from eight to to two thirty like I I just don't have any complaints in this moment like I have claimed my peace. I have claimed my yay. Like I'm just, I, you know, I'm, I'm proud to say I'm in a good place. Now ask me tomorrow and that might change. But right now, today, I'm in a really good place. There we go. You claim your good place. I'm claiming <laughs> a good place. Awesome. Thank you so much, Megan. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. Again, if you haven't yet, please hit subscribe. Please share the episode on social media. Doing this podcast is my favorite thing to do. And um, I love to know, like, who's listening? Why are you listening? Which guests are you loving? So please share the podcast. Reach out to me on social media at underscore Trisha Huffman and or at Claim It Podcast. For more on about Megan and to find her there, you can find her name in the show notes. It's Megan B. Murphy, and that's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-B-M-U-R-P-H-Y. Um, you'll see me sharing about her on social media. Again, go get her book, Your Fully Charged Life, a radically simple approach to having endless energy and feeling every day with yay. Find links in the show notes. And let's see. Yeah, all things me, yourjoyologist.com. Final thought of the day. How about since Megan is all about the yay. What can you do right now? Like, what can you high five yourself right now? What is your yay of the day? Naming that. I did love that simple rephrase of like, what can I acknowledge myself for? I had asked my kids, what are you proud of yourself for? Like, what's your yay of the day? That's an easy, fun way to look at it. So what is your yay of the day right now?